Welcome to the Pulse Podcast, personal conversations about life, leadership, and legacy with inspiring founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders of industry. I am R. Adam Smith, founder of Wisdom Board. I am pleased to host this podcast episode. Wisdom Board is a fast-growing digital leadership platform powered by curated content, blue chip services, valuable human capital resources, and an expansive expert network. Wisdom Board is dedicated to empowering excellence for private companies at the board level. We're here with uh, Matt Norquist, a partner at uh, the leading recruiting and human capital firm in the, in the world. Um, very inspiring organization. Uh, good morning, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks, Adam. Matt Norquist, doing well. Good. Um, well, we're excited to support you and involve you as we all are committed to um, bringing essential resources to owners and directors and management of companies. It's such a, a huge industry and such a challenging time. Why don't uh, you share a bit about your view on the, on the markets and the, and the firm and, um, and go from there? Sure. Well, you know, maybe in a second about Corn Ferry. Uh, I think a lot of people know us as an executive search firm, which of course is where we got our roots. But the search business is only about half, actually a little bit less than half of the business now. So, you know, I, I think of Corn Ferry as the world's premier end-to-end human capital consultancy or talent strategy consultancy. And at the most basic level, it's it's really looking organizationally, both at the macro and the micro level of what talent do we have? So um, what do we have right now? Um, or maybe even before that, what talent do we want and need in the future? Then what do we have right now? And looking at this, not just qualitatively, but, but quantitatively, statistically, what are the numbers we have? What is the pay we have? What, is the, what are the characteristics we need of the leaders and the workers of the future? And then how do you bridge that divide? Is it developing new skill sets? Is it um, learning new ways to lead? Is it bringing in new talent from the outside? Is it acquiring new organizations that have capabilities we don't have? But that's really where we excel is helping organizations understand and then bridge that gap between what they need talent-wise and what they currently have. Okay. And I see that you work on succession management um, and leadership development in addition to really the design of the organization and how to uh, curate and craft and, and design the board, the leadership, the, the, the employee engagement. Those, that's really a holistic approach you pursue those activities mostly in the financial services uh, sector. Tell us about your involvement and your view of the financial services sector. And then also, it's interesting with your, your background from Gallup, you have a passion uh, in the data analytics and behavioral economics area as well. Yeah, I mean, so for me, falling into financial services kind of happened, I'd say, I don't want to say coincidentally, but that's probably the best way of saying it is I, you know, happened to do a lot of work in with financial services clients early on in my career um, with retail banks and, and consumer banks and, you know, mortgage lenders, you know, back in the in in, you know, early 2000s. And then okay. a lot with family owned and, you know, private equity offices back in uh, 2006 through 2010 in the Middle East. So I kind of kind of happened into financial services over the years and, and then currently here at Corn Ferry, 
got asked to run this practice. So the financial services, I, I was never a banker. I was never, never worked for a financial services institution, although I have worked for private equity investors for a number of years um, and have been a private equity investor. I am a private equity investor um, in a number of funds. However, um, the leading the financial services practice was, just, was something I was asked to do and, uh, and do with you know great humility with colleagues who know much more about the, uh, the sectors than I do personally. Um, the art or craft of digging into the behavioral economics of a firm is something that I do perhaps with a little bit less humility. It's something that I've, you know, spent probably more time than most people I know, you know, pouring over yeah. data on how people react to the world around them, um, what makes them respond certain ways, um, what differentiates great performers from mediocre or, or poor performers, and how do we harness that information to either find or develop more people who are uh, superstars inside of a firm. Um, and that's, you know, other kids when they were growing up and read novels, I read the novels, but I also was fascinated by reading biographies. I would sit for, you know, hours and hours staying up at night reading biographies. I was fascinated by the, what distinguished the people who were the best at what they did from everybody else. And this mean, meant everything from Winston Churchill to Jim Thorpe to um, you, you know, Babe Didrikson's Harris to you name it from athletes to uh, politicians to um, to movie stars wanting to figure out what made the great ones great. And so that's kind of the behavioral economics that I study is what characteristics make great people and organizations different. That's great. One of my favorite biographies is uh, on Teddy Roosevelt, one of my heroes, The Rise of Teddy Roosevelt by Edmund Norris is a, is a great book. I'm sure you've read that one before. Um, yeah, I used to have a a Teddy Roosevelt quote on my desk that the um, the front of it said um, said the buck stops here. One of his favorite saying, which is actually about um, a buck knife and playing poker, which means like the, the buck knife means you're the dealer. Um, so the the quote was around the buck stops here, the deal stops here where I am. And then on the back side it said what says watch your step, and that was on the White House desk in the Oval Office. Um, <laughs> so the idea is if you're if the bucks if you're if you're holding the buck if you're the dealer you better watch your step when you're walking away from the table too. So if you're gonna take on the uh, responsibility of dealing the cards, you better you know watch your back when you're uh, when you're walking away because it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you certainly took on a lot of responsibility. That's a good segue. Um, to your uh, CEO, Gary Bernison, who's really uh, such a rock star in the industry, admired by many, and has a very um, unique business and philosophical approach to his communications, now leading the firm. And I, I think it's interesting that the firm was actually started way back in 69 by, by two accountants at uh, the old um, KPMG of Pete Morick Mitchell in like this in LA, which is where you were at, at one time, then it went public, and then it went private again, and then it went public again. It's quite a quite a journey. Tell us a bit about Gary and his leadership style and what he has brought to the firm. Um, I find his his newsletters to be to be fascinating. Um, and I also think that his identification of learning agility, which he kind of redefines as having curiosity is an important predictor for success. And you guys are really um, leaders in, in that emotional quotient way before people were talking about emotional intelligence. Yeah. Well, I think it sounds, sounds like you, you should um, answer the question for me. You've, it sounds like you've studied about as much as I have. Um, but, but in seriousness, I think that, you know, the info he shares and the thoughts he shares are, um, 
they are inspiring. They are, um, you know, also inspired. I think that, you know, coming from a finance background um, is interesting for a human capital firm because, you know, most will have come from a PhD in psychology or a okay. um, come up being leadership development experts or executive coaches. That would be more the norm. Gary, not having come from that background, I think lends a unique perspective on how to run a firm and how to, um, you know, look at the human side of business um, from a 360 degree lens, both quantitatively, qualitatively. Um, and I think that perspective is what allows us to be uniquely helpful to our clients. I also think that, you know, allows us to run our business better, allowed us to take smart measures economically with our own business um, during this time of crisis um, in 2020, we were able to cut back on expenses and and people earlier than most of our peers and rivals and um, are now hopefully being able to recover faster than many of our peers and rivals um, as, you know, you know, yeah. knock on things recover. But I, I do think the agility bit and curiosity, I think, is interesting because agility is not just around being nimble. It is. It's also really about about being able to be developed and able to grow. And I think that to me is the heart of agility is, is being able and willing to grow. So it's not just being quick on your feet, but you have to be willing to be developed. And that means you have to be humble. You have to listen, you have to be coached. Um, and that also means you need a boss and an organization that allows and even enables that, which is a, uh, again, that's what we do. That's what Gary does well in our organization. That's what we try and help our clients do um, exceptionally well. That's great. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic, and um, there's endless learning in the in the EQ area. Um, and I, it's interesting how there is uh, such a tremendous amount of data that you guys collect to to create predictors of success way beyond the the pedigrees or IQ or the the promotional um, ramp up of someone's career. It's a, like you're saying, it's about their their demonstrated ability to be to be nimble, but also uh, to grow and face challenges. So moving on to the, your board experience, um, you know, Wisdom Board, we have uh, several hundred um, in, our, in our community that are at the C-levels in private companies. And as you know, the middle market of private companies, um, they tend to have a bit less resources than, um, than the pr public company clients, but yet they have the same challenges in leadership and culture and staffing and expertise, best practices. Tell us a bit about your your views on the board for private companies and what they, you know, what is their real duty to to the company, and what do you think are the couple of key um, leading, you know, guiding guiding lights and tenants for uh, for the board of organizations that you've experienced over the years. I hate to give the answers answers that say it depends, but it it really does. It depends to me on a number of things. One is you know, what are the owners willing to make the purpose of the board? I mean, to me, that's, that's really the, the core question is, is what is, what is the point of the board? If the owner's yeah. shareholder structure only has the purpose of the board to be to sign off minutes and to serve as functionaries um, and to, you know, allow a vote when, if board votes are necessary, um, then that's all the board's going to do. Yeah. Um, if the, ownership structure of the company wants, again, whether it's private, whether it's the emerging emergence of SPACs or whether it's a small public firm wants the board to have a real role besides a functionary role, 
Um, then I think it becomes about defining what is the what is the purpose, what is the point of the board? Because okay. you still have to do all the functionary things. You still have to sign the paper. You still have to, you know, you know, sign the minutes. You still have to, you know, enter in a vote when a vote's necessary. So those things don't go away. Those are still table stakes. But then um, it becomes part of the you know, ownership structure to decide what is the role of the board. And so I, to me, I think it gets back to what is the purpose of that individual board? Um, what is needed to serve that purpose? So that could be a skill set standpoint. So that gets to board compensation, uh, composition. So, you know, who do you need on that board? It gets to a, um, so that's, you know, capabilities and who do you need? Right. It also gets into, um, in today's environment, how do you make sure you have diversity in your board and I don't just mean diversity um, from a uh, DNI standpoint I also mean diversity of thought um, diversity in background diversity in perspective because from that in that diversity does come effective conflict which will lead to effective teamwork in the long run right. I think when I think about purpose of the board also it will shift you know, on a, mo on a momentary basis as well, based on who your most important stakeholder is at a given time. And I, if I'm rambling a little bit, we can cut this section out. Um, but I do think that, so there might be times in which the most important stakeholder is overwhelmingly the shareholder. There, mm -hmm. there, there are also going to be times, and that's probably mostly true. Right. There are going to be times when and it's going to be on that, on that front, like there's such a tremendous movement towards um, a broader sense of companies' engagement with their stakeholders, stakeholder capitalism, conscious capitalism, social capitalism, um, especially during COVID and especially during recession when the organization has to make, even Corn Ferry uh, being a large public company, has to make a choice between growth and also running lean and protecting the organization itself. What are, what are some of the challenges that you've uh, had to deal with, um, with leaders and CEOs and hiring and firing people during this, during this time frame? And, and um, you know, how, do you, how do you guide them, hold, hold their hands during the process of, of these challenging times? Well, I think, I think, again, to me, it first gets back to deciding who your most important stakeholder is at a given time. And that, that's with boards, that's with, you know, advising clients. So if the shareholder is, you know, priority one, two, three, four, and five, that tells you what you have to do at a given time. If we have the, and I say we using the, the royal, we have the, you know, the capital um, or the, you know, time horizon to not have to not pay dividends not worry about this um, quarter's TSR, then you can, and we can say, you know what, it's the customer that's our number one priority and we right. can take our time on paying shareholders and that changes what you're able to do. Same thing being, okay, employees are number one priority or hell, it might be the SEC or the government depending on any, any given, you know, momentary issues or it might be the press. I mean, so, so I, I do think being clear on the order of stakeholders and their importance at any given time is really how we a big part of how we advise clients on what they do internally um, with talent and making but they have to be very clear on that the the order of priorities from a stakeholder standpoint. Okay. The better run companies are, the more elbow room they have to take a longer term view on things. Right. And I do think 
the SEC actually even just put out, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but put out a put guidance on human capital reporting as part of a series of requirements that they didn't give specificity on what those requirements would have to be, but there's a recent, um, they have given guidance that there must be human capital reporting in annual reports going forward starting in 2021, which is a pretty strong signal to the marketplace that this is gonna be important in the long run. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, that came out on August 26, apparently fascinating. And I think it's great that they're going uh, down that road. Um, in terms of the firm being run well, I think Corn Ferry is, is navigating the storm well um, with uh, revenues down only, only 12% and probably rebounding as we speak, but it's also impressive that um, look that EBITDA is is remaining around 15%. It's a very solid number, so it's uh, it must be uh, comforting to work at, at such a, a strong firm. Um, looks like there's around 9,000 people in the organization now, and 100 and 100 offices. What's what is that like to be working in such a broad-based global organization? And how do you communicate with your colleagues? Um, on a global basis? Do you have uh, monthly calls or strategic breakout sessions or do you have a Slack platform? Um, How does it work? Yeah. Yes to all. It's uh, So it's very different than being a CEO of a hundred person organization, I'll tell you that, um, mm -hmm. which was my last job. So this, this is, um, yes, 6 a.m. calls with Asia and um, EMEA, yes, you know, late night, you know, emails and texts to figure out what happened on the uh, the global town halls that you weren't able to be a part of because you were on another client call in the middle of the day. Um, yes to, you know, weekly, you know, huddles with core teams and, um, you know, weekly, you know, business management calls with a bunch with various groups, what, you know, so that means sector calls. And on one hand, it means geo calls. And on the other hand, it means, um, Client calls. On the other hand, it means you know, try to make sure we all fit in time for what's called unstructured socialization that doesn't happen in, at the water cooler anymore. So make sure we still build in water cooler time with each other. Um, a large group get-togethers tend to be mostly one way that we try and make as much two-way as is realistic. But you know, if you, you you're not going to keep people on the phone for or Zoom for three hours, so realizing that you've got you know 60 or 90 minutes at most um, has to be pretty carefully coordinated to give it at least a feeling of dialogue. So there'll be breakout groups where you have, um, you know, you might have 150 breakout rooms with, you know, individual facilitators or, you know, group leaders on each one. So we do our best and it's, you know, probably we err on more communication versus less, which means the email volume can get substantial, put it that way. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's very helpful. Very interesting. Um, one last uh, point on the leadership structure is what are your thoughts on the chairman and CEO roles for private companies? And um, if it's how essential is it that they are a different person or is it more about how they how they carry the flag and, and function properly? I think it's, you know, th this is opinion versus research driven. I think it's um, it depends on the culture, the ownership structure, um, the momentary needs, succession plans, and timing. Um, funding, um, the health of the business. I mean, so I think sometimes just take a smaller organization. Imagine you're a $25 million family-owned business. Yeah. Um, 
that generates a million dollars of EBITDA and mm. it's hundred percent owned by, you know, one family, are you going to have a, you know, chairman who you pay 200 grand and a CEO who you pay 300 grand um, and make that work financially? I don't think so. So, I mean, so, so sometimes it's as simple as it's just not realistic to have both hands um, unless right. you move chairman to a, you know, unpaid position that's, you know, simply a, uh, you know, simply an ownership stake with a, you know, say so in, you know, company strategies. I think my experience is an ideal world is they can be separate, but I've not seen it matter that much in practice because they don't, in practice, it ends up being a too often a piece of paper difference as opposed to a real, again, practical difference in how the companies run. Right. If, if, if it was, if it was in practice um, treated differently, I would be in favor almost always of separating the two right. roles. Right. Okay. Well, it's, there's a lot of CEOs and chairman right now that are uh, uh, just trying to get by and protect their companies and to maintain that inspiration you're talking about. But I think with the, the final um, reality coming to our political system, the vaccine, interest rates are low, uh, stock markets at all time high. Hopefully there's the leading indicators uh, will will normalize the economy soon. I think also that uh, Corn Fair is fortunate to have such a, a great uh, brand and leadership. And I just wanted to, to share a, um, a quote that I saw that um, Gary had mentioned once, uh, which is quite a high bar, but um, he was quoting, I think a Confucius saying for inspiration in this market, the humane do not worry, the wise are not perplexed and the courageous have no fear. I guess he's saying that it's really, you guys are helping um, the companies by finding and hiring and placing leaders uh, that have visibility into where the companies need to go. You know, that's super inspiring to me, having been on 10 boards and worked with lots of CEOs and not having been a CEO myself of an operating company. Um, it's, it's great to see uh, uh, people like you helping the leadership along the way. You know, what is your favorite part of working at at such a firm um, uh, these days and you know, what really gets you up in the morning and, and is inspiring to you? Maybe two answers. So um, at Corn Ferry, the thing I think that's unique for us, everybody always says people, but I, and I think, yeah, sure, of course. But at Corn Ferry, I think what's, um, what's very special is our platform, which includes our ability to connect are great, you know, almost 10,000 people around the world to a platform that is able to take data that connects learning and development and organizational strategy to the platform of a company or individual success profile. So again, what makes a company um, great? What makes an individual CEO or CFO or head of sales great all the way down to what makes an individual um, call center representative be the best they are at you know fielding and delight fielding calls and delighting customers in that single call on the phone we have the ability to connect all those dots and that's that's pretty damn exciting i mean so, so that's to me what's special about corn fairy is that platform that connects the people all the way down to we call it the intelligence cloud that builds it all together what i enjoy most and this sounds mundane is stacking up little progressions i, I call it practice but stacking up the practice that you know over time 
you know, little gains add up to a lot. I, you, you mentioned um, a friend of mine earlier, decathlete, um, Brian Clay, who won the Olympic gold medal in 2008. He and I were talking the other day and um, he and I had known each other about, well, I guess like 22, 23 years now because we competed against each other back in high school. About it, there's a picture I saw of him walking off the track in the Beijing Olympics. It was after the first event and it was pouring down rain and he's all by himself. It's pitch black. It's dark. There's just a light shine down on him and it's dark um, pouring down rain. He, he, he just won the first event. And, and I asked him, I was like, I was like, how do you feel after like during that event? He's like, like I felt completely alone, but I knew I was going to win this, the Olympic gold medal. I, I just knew it. And I was like, how, what do you mean? He's like, well, I felt alone because there was nobody around me and I felt alone, but that was okay because I'd spent the last 15 years 20, 30, 40 hours a week doing this, practicing for these next two days of being the best in the world at what I do and walking away with a gold medal. I'd, I'd put in the practice. I'd put in the practice. I'd done the reps. I'd done the work. Um, and now is the time for that work to pay out. So that's what I enjoy most is the practice. Um, it's the, the quiet stuff that nobody notices. Um, that maybe it's the the text with the client on a Saturday morning saying, Hey, what do you think I should do about this? Or, you know, the call with the team saying, you know what guys um, realize that, you know, this is not going to be our best year in history and realize that, you know, and this is public that, you know, we, we took pay cuts in the first half of the year, but really appreciate the work you're doing that, that, you know, the small things that nobody notices or hears about. I like the practice. So that's my favorite part of the job. That's great to hear, uh, Matt. Appreciate it. And I, I like that we're, uh, both involved in empowering our communities um, to be more more agile, to be a wisdom board, to be a corn fairy, active, revered, supported client. So hope you have a, a great couple of weeks and months ahead going into the new year and have a great Thanksgiving. And thank you for joining this, this series of the um, Wisdom Board Pulse podcast. Well, th thank you for inviting me, Adam, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Pulse is a digital collection of personal conversations with respected private company experts. Pulse listeners enjoy enlightening lessons, wisdom, and journeys of interesting people. Pulse is a production of Wisdom Board, a trusted leadership brand dedicated to empowering private companies to achieve excellence in the boardroom. Wisdom Board lives on LinkedIn and online at wisdomboard.co. Please subscribe to our podcast, available on all major channels, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. I am R. Adam Smith founder of Wisdom Board. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Board Pulse podcast.